You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, find the New Testament book of John, John chapter 12. Uh, we have been walking through John's gospel with the title of Look and Live uh, for quite a while. In a, good, in, a, in a sense, it's been a, a good journey and we're not to the completion of it. I say it that way because as we enter into John chapter 12, we see a, a transitioning taken, so to speak, in John's gospel. And as we come into John chapter 12 we begin to see the, the public ministry of Christ coming to a close, meaning the, the public miracles and the public discourses and his public interaction in Galilee and Samaria and Jerusalem and as he traveled with the disciples doing the work of the Father. So John chapter 12, we begin to see this narrow down. And uh, the setting today is in the uh, he's in a home. We know from other, other places in Scripture, it's probably the home of Simon the leper, but it's a, it's a gathering with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and others are gathering around, and it, it draws a crowd, and we have the, the outside noise of the religious leaders. And then after this meal is when he has the triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, and he celebrates Passover. Then after the end of the triumphant entry, at the end of verse of chapter 12, Jesus then begins to spend the rest of his time with his disciples. And we have the upper room discourse, and we have the, uh, the prayer in the garden. So if you, if you scan ahead, you begin to see that. This is the last he spends with the public, and then he narrows it down, and he's spending all of his time with the disciples, and then eventually his arrest in the garden, and then what we have, the passion narrative, his arrest and crucifixion, and then his ascension and all that takes place. I say that because this makes this setting very important. After all that has been said and done, after all the miracles that Jesus has performed, after all the, the discourses and the messages that have been shared through John's gospel, all the, the interaction with the people, those that were for him, those who were against him, those who were kind of neutral, everything is coming to a conclusion. And after the greatest miracle that we have seen to this point, the, the seventh miracle that we have seen in John, of course, to me, the greatest miracle is his death, burial, and resurrection. But the greatest miracle that he performs, you remember from last week, he, he, he declared, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. That's a pretty heroic supernatural miracle, wouldn't you admit, that the raising of a dead man in the eyes of many people. So it's like the, the greatest moment as he is making his way to the cross is the raising of Lazarus to the, to the dead. And one of my uh, favorite movies of all times is Remember the Titans. And uh, I won't bore you with my word-for-word -word verbatim 
when the coach calls the timeout and says, blitz every play. And then he looks at Coach Herman and goes, Herman, run it up. Leave no doubt. And they'll remember the night they played the Titans. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Leave no doubt. I am God. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. Somebody take those grave clothes off of him. That is a real man that was really dead that is really alive. Leave no doubt. Now, after some time in Ephraim and some time ministering, and the reason why there's always time in between, it's not Jesus trying to figure his mind out on what he needs to do or he's afraid of persecution or he's waiting this. There's always a redemptive timetable that God has in place. There was a perfect time for the perfect son to go to that perfect cross and die a perfect death for our depraved self. And at the right exact time, Jesus came to Jerusalem. Look at John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. I said Jerusalem. He came uh, to Bethany where Lazarus was raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him. Now, I chuckled as I looked at this all week. So they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And then Mary was there. So who, I mean, you think, what's, what's the dinner about? Oh, I don't know. Thanks for raising our brother from the dead. Would you come to dinner? Oh, I don't need to come to dinner. You don't owe me dinner. Well, we, would you come to dinner? We'll even throw in some butter pecan ice cream, Jesus. Come to dinner. So I say that joking, but think of the setting. Martha, Mary, how about Lazarus? Jesus, come to dinner. We owe everything to you. You are who you say that you are, and we believe it. As we begin to prepare for the Passover, Jesus, will you come to dinner with us so we can serve you? And minister to you. And in some token way say thank you for who you are in our life. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment and made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And as you read that you wonder. And you could see the love that she has for Christ. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but you do not always have me. And when the large crowd of the Jews, now this would not have been the, the necessary the religious evil Jews, but just would have been people in general. The large crowd of Jews heard, learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, but also to Lee's Lazarus. And I would say, I bet so. I'd want to see that myself. 
whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans. Now here we're getting into the, the bad guys, the religious leaders. So the, the chief priest made plan to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for these verses. We thank you, Lord, for the, 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 the words that we have to believe and understand that you are who that you say that you are. You're God sent from heaven to live a perfect life, to die on that cross, Lord, to, to, to be that only mediator, that perfect sacrifice for our sin. And just as you raised Lazarus from the dead, Lord, you have been raised from the dead and you conquered sin. You conquered the power of sin over our lives. And you ascended to the right hand of the Father and you sent your spirit upon us so that we may have life. So that we as sinners dead in our trespasses and sin, just as dead as Lazarus was dead, may be raised again as we respond to the words that we hear come forth. And Lord, open up our hearts and mind as we think about these around our Savior at this point. Lord, help us to understand how we respond to all that we have seen. And that we have heard. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Put your finger right there for a real quick second. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Stay there and look at Matthew chapter 4. We see Peter and John before the council. You might remember all that is taking place there, but uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They have the power of God upon them, and they begin to do the ministry of the Lord and sharing the gospel, and we see a great picture of boldness and preaching and people coming to know Christ, and, and then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 4 that they are, they are persecuted, they are beaten, and they are thrown in jail for being believers. And at the end of that section, it's one of my um, favorite little sections there when we think about how we should live our life. But toward the tail end of their persecution arrest and standing before those religious leaders, in, John, in Acts chapter 4, verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. So this would have been the same religious leaders, some spackling of the same people that would have been at the John trying to arrest Jesus in and eventually crucify him and said, listen, you need to stop. Stop talking about this Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John, John's gospel, John, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. 
As I was preparing the message this week, those words kept ringing in my, in my mind. What we have seen and what we have heard. We cannot help but to speak about the things that we have seen and we have heard. And that was John that said that. And so right here, what I want us to consider this morning is there's four groups of, uh, of folks. There's multiple groups of people here. And what they are doing is actually there are five. There are five groups of people here that are responding to what they have seen and heard just as John said hey I, you do what you want to to me my life is because my life is what it is and I'm doing what I'm doing because what I have seen and heard and so we have these these five groups these five folks here at this meal the impact of this meal is the public ministry so it's the idea okay I've been doing public ministry for this long what do you say to my ministry what have you seen? What have you heard? What you have seen and what you have heard, how does it impact your life? That's a great ask and question for us here today. All that we have seen and all that we have heard about Jesus Christ, how does that impact our life today? As we were sitting in this room and we were having a meal with Christ himself, what would we respond? How would we respond to what we have seen and heard? We have Martha serving we have Mary always worshiping. We have Judas and his wicked heart of idolatry. We have the crowd that's just fickle over everything. And then we have the hostility of those religious leaders. Where do we fall into this crowd? Let's just go through them. Verse 2, let's look at Martha. Now, you know this, and, and from the other week, if you listen, I'm not saying you don't listen, you know what I mean. I'm kind of partial to Martha. You remember why? Somebody told me today, will you just slow down and go do something? Well, I was, I'm Martha. Busy, 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 busy. Got to be doing, got to be doing, got to be doing. Martha's always serving. Can I say this? Because historically, we always want to jump on Martha because previously Jesus did remind Martha, slow down, be more like Mary. But at the same time, we know that Jesus loved Martha, loved Mary, and loves Nazareth, Lazarus. I can relate to Martha. I have seen and heard what Jesus has done for me. And I just want to serve. Sometimes I need to be still and, and rest in the laurels of the goodness of God. And, but I'm not doing it so I can earn favor with God. I'm not doing it so that, look at me, God, I'm work, work, work. No, I think it's our person. I think just our personality. Some of us are just that way. But the key is, if you have seen and you have heard, and we know that who Jesus Christ is, we need to be serving. We need to be people that are busy doing work for the kingdom. Let me read some scripture verses. Don't turn there because you'll do like me. If you turn there, you'll get lost there. We'll never get back to John. It'll be 2 o'clock. <laughs> Write these down. I do provide the actual notes. People see that on the screen. They say, what does that mean? If you log on right now, you've got my notes. 
And you can follow along and you've got everything that, that I have been looking over over the last several days. Listen to John chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. That's slothful in spirit. Be, be slothful in zeal. Zeal is that energy and that passion and that excitement. And that, that doesn't mean some folk, uh, fake emotional response. And God's not concerned about anything fake or anything we do that's not genuine. But it's that idea of our God-given passion, our God-given personality. It's who we are in Christ. Just being excited about that. I always tell folks when it comes to worship, if we need to run around and shout, run around and shout. If, if, if tap Tapping your leg is charismatic to you, then tap your leg. It's not about what you're doing. It's what your heart is telling you to do. Some of us, there's not even a slothfulness of zeal. There is no zeal. I love the Lord. Don't tell me what I need to be doing for the Lord. I'll do this, but I want to do this, and I don't want to. Oh, that's exciting. You know, you meet, the, you meet the Redeemer that saved your soul from eternity of hell and your sins are forgiven and there's no other reason why your sins are forgiven other than just the mercy and grace and God upon your life and you can't get excited about doing that. One of my favorite little Pastor John stories back in the day was uh, we had a youth pastor that was new and this was in Indiana and he was had all the other youth pastors in town and a lot of them were new in Indiana and he had a little pizza lunch that's pizza and youth pastors they were down there and so I heard him down there and I come walking down there and I didn't know any of them and I walked down there and said what are y'all doing and Joe said we're having pizza well y'all just sit around here and have your pizza and drink your pop in Indiana they call it pop I don't know why they can't call it coke we get to heaven it's gonna be called coke well, y'all just sit around here with your pizza and pot and tell all your youth story stuff. People are dying and going to hell. And I stormed back up there, and, and they looked at Joe. Because he serious? He goes, no. <laughs> I was being very silly. But the idea is people are literally dying and going to hell. And we're trying to explain why we're not serving the Lord and serving him with a sense of zeal and passion and excitement. Matthew 20, 26 and 28, it's the request of James and John's mother for Jesus. And he said, can my two boys be up there with you? And Jesus in Matthew 20, 26, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And even as the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve and to give thanks, give his life as a ransom for many. The first ones out of the line to serve mankind should be believers we ought to be eager to serve and to do for Christ Matthew 23 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant Jesus talking to the Pharisees and scribes who had elevated themselves on a on a religious pulpit a religious setting that they they were Pharisees and scribes and and they were not worthy to worship uh, and to serve and to worship in that setting and Jesus said the greatest among you should be your servant whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted but yet here we have Martha all it says we know from others said in Luke Jesus did remind her hey 
Quit worrying about what Mary's doing and you focus on you and, and think about worship. But then, don't miss this. Jesus loved Martha. Martha served. When you know who Jesus Christ is and you have seen and heard who he is, that should lead to a life of serving for him, through him, and because of him. Secondly, we have Mary, verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expenses, ointment, made it nard and knowing the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. Obviously, Mary is more emotional and more reflective and more worshipful. And so Jesus did say in Luke's gospel, Martha, be a little bit more like Mary. And here's the danger, and here's why I say that. I can work myself to death thinking I'm serving the Lord. But if I'm never at the feet of Jesus and, and, and serving him in a sense with my spirit and heart, I'm going to give out. I'm going to become weary. And so there's that always that Christian balance. We need to be at the feet of Christ and worshiping him in a one-on-one way that we love and we adore him and that we worship him. Notice Mary's life. Think about where we are in our life. Think about the impact that Christ has had on your life. This worship, what does she do? She took a pound of of this expensive perfume. Notice that Mary's worship, notice how costly it was. Now, as we think about Mary and as we think about Judas and we think about the crowd, I want to challenge you to think about your life. I want to be a, a little negative here. Think how costly that was. That was, as we look at that, that's a, that's a year's wages. Think about the year, we, we just had an offering. So many times pastors are so afraid to talk about money. I'm not afraid to talk about money because it's not mine, it's not ours. I always tell people when it comes to money, it would be different if I was trying to get money so that we could keep it in here. Did y'all know that a church is not a bank? Did you know that? The, the money that we, the reason why pastors ought to be asking people to give and give faithfully is two things are going to happen. One, you're going to be blessed. Secondly, that money is going out to make a difference. It's not about us. We don't have, this isn't an investment bank. You know, we're not saving up for that, you know, well, we better save. I, I did a true story. Uh, I used to do a lot of little revivals when I was in seminary. You know, we kind of, I was on that revival circuit until I did a revival for a friend and he got fired the next week. That came to a complete halt. No one ever asked me to do another revival again. Don't ask him to get fired. I just, being led by the Spirit, was talking about something came up and money come up. And I was talking about these churches that save money and think they can't, you know, we got missionaries that need to go out and countries and we can't, we were too afraid to let go of money. And they just had a big business meeting. They didn't want to let go of any of the money to give to missions. And so the, they thought the pastor told me to preach on that, so they fired him. Boy, that blessed the Lord. What do you think? Now, we need to be wise with our money, and that's obvious. We have a budget committee, have all these things of accountability. I'm not talking about that, but it's costly. She gave a year's salary to worship the Lord. This is not about an offering. This is about an act of worship. It's not about money. It's the act of worship. It was costly to her to do that. And notice the humility here. In our worship. 
Do you know that it would have been the lowest room on the ladder that cleaned the feet of everybody? Have you ever been? I was looking at a picture today of a, of a pastor in Uganda, and as he came out of his hut on the wooden ground, there was a trough between his house and the road, and in that trough was sewage and trash. That's typical. Just feces and trash. I mean, I, I literally can walk in my house and smell the slightest soured food in the trash can, and I'm removing it from my presence and spraying. And He has feces in his front yard, and it's just the way they live. And so can you imagine walking around barefooted in that setting, and you're in the Middle East, and so you would come in someone's house, and you would think, who's going to clean the feet? Some of us don't even like feet in general. Now we're going to clean the feet. Where did Mary go? To the feet of Jesus. And she took that perfume and she poured it over Jesus' head from top to bottom. And then took her hair and wiped his feet with it. I think it's Luke's gospel. One of the other gospels says, when Jesus says, what she did will be told whenever the gospel is shared. Laying at the feet of it. Think about that. I heard a, a professor's wife tell me this at college. That one day she was laying in bed with her husband and they were talking about and praying as they were doing reading scripture before bed. And she said she realized what grace meant. She realized that she, cause she had grown up going to church and heard the gospel as a child and she came to know Christ. And cause, so she didn't have this big colorful testimony and all that God had forgiven her. She just had grown up going to church and been saved. But she said, John, in doing that, she told the class, in doing that I had forgotten how special grace is. He did that for me. And she said she crawled out of bed and just began to weep beside the bed, thanking Christ for her salvation. When we think about true worship, it is costly and it is humble. And we think about our world today and we think about all that is going in. And I know as a pastor, we people get y'all get tired of hearing about us as pastors, but think about our life for a minute. We see everything. We see you every week. We see who's not here every week. We see who here every week. Now we have social media, and if I so choose to, I can know everything about you. I can know your favorite song, your favorite music, your favorite cat, your favorite dog, your favorite everything. Why? Because you put it out there for everybody to know. And so as pastors, we see all this. We see what you do. We see what you're excited about. We see what you're there. We see when you're not there. We see everything about your life. And it breaks our heart. Because we see what you truly worship. And a lot of times people come to church, well, every time I come to church, I feel like the pastor's telling me. And, I, and jokingly we'll say, well, well, I just have missed you for six months or I haven't seen you in several weeks. And, and it's not because I, we're checking the box. It's not that, well, we've got to have perfect attendance, make Jesus happy. and we got, It's about worshiping. 
as the shepherd of the flock, as a pastor of a church. You, you look into the heart. It's like a family. We look into the family, and it's like a family. When you, when you have a family member that you know is just struggling and there's nothing you can do, but you want them not to struggle, it's like the worship. I look at the worship of the Christians in America today. I, I'm not an expert on it. and I'm like, Why America? Because this is where I live. It's like we worship everything but the Lord. It's like we're just trying to find something else we can do and then we throw Jesus in when we have time. We worship success. We worship our future. We worship what we think we need to be. We worship what people think we need to be. Why do I know that? Look at your Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you don't know what that is, hallelujah. Look at the world today. Who are we worshiping? Our worship should be as merry. It should be costly. It should be humble. We focus on the good things. Now, this is probably what Martha was guilty of. Martha was doing a good thing. In Luke's gospel, it plays out. Martha was doing a good thing. Busy, 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 busy. She was in the kitchen over there, though. She was in the kitchen. When Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, you're doing a good thing. Come do the best thing. A lot of the things that we love are good things. Here's a good example. Do y'all know I'm going to be a grandparent? Have I told y'all that today? What if I became that grandparent? Grandchild, 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 grandchild. Facebook, 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 Instagram, grandchild, 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 grandchild. Pastor sure is taking a lot of Sundays off. Grandchild, 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 grandchild. My grandchild's gonna be perfect. My grandchild is this. My grandchild is that. My grandchild is that. I want my grandchild to be successful. I want my grandchild to be this. Has anybody seen the pastor? Grandchild, 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 grandchild. That healthy? Grandchild, 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 grandchild. That's not healthy. God gave us things to worship and enjoy. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't think Jesus is opposed to college football. (laughs) I keep trying to tell people there is going to be a animal in heaven. It is a bulldog. I don't think Jesus is against college football. I don't think Jesus is against grandchildren. I don't think Jesus is against the things that we do and the things that control our life. But Jesus is against when it controls our life. He gives us a a heart for good things. We have a a desire for good things and things that we love. I think the the gifts that we have, our abilities and these things are good things. But it can't be the consuming thing. Here's a very practical way to look at it. it. It's alarming to me. If you go to church type meetings, you'll hear, start hearing this. 
the big average, not that core committed group, but just the, 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 the average, the big average in America. The, if, if you get, gosh, maybe one and a half times of church a month, that's a faithful church member. Now, that's just a practical man's way of measuring something. Say that out loud. One and a half times to worship as the body of Christ on the day that the Lord is set aside to worship Him and to fellowship one with another. A faithful that in America today is about one and a half. Well, what do we do about it? Well, this is what I do about it. I want to meet them where they are. Not make them mad when they show up that one and a half times a month, which I, can, I tend to do sometimes, like I'm angry. And try to get them to see that true worship is when Jesus is the most important thing in your family. Not what we have time for. Now I'm saying this as a conviction in my own heart and spirit. I'm saying this that none of us ever arrived. I'm saying this also to what I think you worship. You're going to be real quick to point out and tell me what I worship if you know what I mean. Oh, it's easy for me to tell you, you worship your children and grandchildren, but you wait till March the 26th. It's easy for me to say, well, you don't need to be doing that. I hope you heard that sermon. Well, you can fire right back at me at things I'm crazy about. But let's just get real. Do we really worship the Lord with our life, with our resources, with everything that we do? When you think about parenting, is the most important thing in our life, do my children love and serve God? And whatever God is calling them to do, I want it to do for God's glory, regardless of occupation, regardless of location, regardless of anything. That's hard, isn't it? True worship is costly and humble. The idolatry of Judas, and I need to step it up a little bit. Don't miss this. Judas was a disciple. Chew on that for a little bit. Jesus knew what he was going to do before he told Judas to be one of his disciples. Jesus walked with Jesus Judas walked with Jesus for three years, saw the miracles, saw everything about Jesus. But look at his heart. But Judas is scared of one of the disciples who was about to betray. I can't even, I can't even, that, that doesn't even make, how can you know, how can you live with Jesus Christ for three years and then betray him. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge over the money bag he used to help himself put into it. He was one of the disciples, and actually, I thought about—I never thought about this. This is the first words. This is the first time Judas. This is the first time we've heard Judas speak. That's a, that'll bless you. First things out of his mouth of the disciple of Jesus Christ is he's going to betray Jesus because he doesn't approve of what's going on in the worship of Jesus. Ooh, that says a lot. What a picture of idolatry. He didn't like the way Jesus was worshipped 
And he had worship of, of the Savior in his mind the way he wanted it. If you think about idolatry, idolatry is anything that we put on the thrones of our life before Jesus Christ. Anything that we put on there, anything we put before Jesus Christ can become an idol. And here we have Judas, a heart of idolatry. Elise Fitzpatrick, I'll throw this out here because it's a good book. Elise Fitzpatrick, remember that, Idol of the Heart. Go buy that and read it. Elise Fitzpatrick, Idol of the Heart. Longing for God alone is the premise of the book. God's word tells us that idolatry is something more than temples, incense, and food offerings. Idolatry has to do with love. Our love for God, our love for others, our love for the world. That love is that which we do. That really who we are. That, I look at it this way. That unguarded moment, what do you get excited about? That unguarded moment, what comes out of your mouth? When you're just living life, what is it that you think about? Idolatry is anything that we have in our life that is more important to us than Jesus Christ. Here, let me go back to grandchildren. Did I tell you I'm going to be a grandchild, grandfather? I am going to wear that grandchild out, not wear out, wear out. but I'm going to do it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I don't want to create a... Could you imagine a spoiled, rotten little Beck? That would be terrible. <laughs> a hyper Beck's a little on the nerving side, but can you imagine a spoiled, rotten little Beck? What a terror that would be. So I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to, raise, I'm going to worship that grandchild through the blood of Jesus, through Calvary. That's another way to say that. I'm going to spoil that grandchild through the gospel. I want that grandchild to love Jesus Christ more than his granddaddy. I want Sharon to love Jesus more than she loves me. I want Brantley, Emily, and Bryce to love Jesus more than they love their dad. I don't want an idolatry of anything in the life of those I love other than Jesus Christ. Idolatry is a wicked... If Now, we can get real deep theologically into all of this and providence and sovereignty and all of that, and that's true, but think about this. He lived with Christ for three years and was a man of idolatry. How easy would it be for us to fall prey to idolatry? See, Judas had a delusional mind, I guess you could say. Think about it this way. He had, a, he had a delusional mind. He had a view of who Christ was, not who he is. He wanted Jesus Christ to be a religious leader, political ruler, a military might. See, the Jews were in bondage from the Roman citizens, so they were looking for someone to take the Jews out of that bondage to restore the Jewish nation as the Jewish nation, and that's what Judas wanted. Take us out, deliver us, and I'll be your second or third in command. I'll be in charge of the money. Jesus, you be king of king and lord of lords, and I'm going to be the CFO. So that's who, Je that's, who, that's who Jesus was to Judas. So as they lived for these three years, and wait a minute, why are you so humble? Why are you giving everything away? Why are you not rebuking her for what she's did? How am I going to be the CFO if there's no money? 
Why are you so meek and humble? Kill all the Romans, Jesus. You put, if you can raise the dead, zap them and get rid of them. Why are you not doing what I need you to do? He had an illusional mind. He could not see Jesus Christ for who he was. He, today, he could not see Jesus for who he was in Scripture. Secondly, he had a selfish motive. It's all about him. What's in it for me? I'll give church a try. I'll do this a try. I've had men tell me that all the time. All right, preacher, I'm going to come to church, and I'll even come to Sunday school if God will make my wife love me. And I always tell people, listen, I, tell you, I can tell you what will make your wife love you. Fall in love with Jesus. I'm going to do this if that. There's no this to that. There's just this. It's just like nothing. You, you strip yourself of no ambition and no selfish motives like Judas had. And you just come to Christ and say, whatever, whenever, however, I am yours. And Judas couldn't do that. He had this illusion of mind and a selfish motive. And think about this. Think about the missed opportunities. Really? <laughs> Judas. It's Jesus. You want your future taken care of? Follow Christ. How did it end for Judas? Hanging from a tree, this gut spilled out on the land because he, he was not a follower of Jesus Christ. What an opportunity. And you think about idolatry. Here, here's a sad point about true story. Man sitting in a wheelchair with an oxygen mask, weeks from death. Christian man, but weaving over, wheezing after every breath he took, he said, Pastor, I kept telling myself when I get enough money saved up and I can live right and I can do right in other words when I get all these things in order I kept telling myself boy I'm going to serve the Lord he weeping telling me this look at me now I spent my whole life loving the Lord he was he was a Christian man but he said I spent my whole life with the missed opportunities I could have been serving the Lord as I worked but I was so consumed with everything if I ever get to the point I can do this and he had no opportunity to do anything he could barely walk across the living room floor missed opportunity now we have this fickle crowd I call it I don't really need to say a whole much about the fickle crowd. The fickle crowd just shows up to see what's going on. You know what's popular in our society? The fickle crowd. Hey, we got some ministries going on in our church. Ba-boom, da-bang. Let's go down there and see what's going on down there. Woo, we go to this church now. Whoa, wait a minute. We got a new pastor over here. Whoa, let's go over here. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Hey, what's going on over there? Hey, what's going on? It sounds kind of silly. I need to be careful. I know how difficult it is to find a church. Been there, done that. As a, as, as, when you're a pastor and you're not a pastor anymore and you're looking for a church, I get it. And God does say it's time to leave a church, to go to another church. 
And everywhere I've ever been, there's been many people without them that I would thank the Lord that he moved them. And God moves people for different reasons. But what I'm talking about is those people that just bounce everywhere, nowhere, nowhere, Hey, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Why? You want to go see a dead man alive? Let's go to Lazarus' house. Really? Does he stink? No, he's alive. He, he doesn't stink anymore, but he, they said he really stunk when he first came out, and them clothes were rank. Let's go down there. Oh, they got food? Yeah, I think Martha, Martha cooks. She knows she cooks. Let's go see. A little bit later, hey, there's a big, hey, there's a parade. This is, Jesus of Nazareth is coming on a donkey. Everybody grab your palm branches. Hey, it's, a, it's Mardi Gras Jerusalem style with, with Jesus flavor. Oh, wait a minute. They're going to arrest him and crucify him? Oh, I don't, no, 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 no. I don't mind a good party. I don't mind showing up for all the, the events. But no, no, no. This cost it. Whoa, hey, no, no, no. You're on your own. Cru- crucify him. No, no. Oh, whew, that was close. Whew. Man, we about got in trouble over there. They're too ser- that church too serious, man. They're crucifying people. People say, well, Pastor, what do you do with fickle people? I just love them. It's who, I tell you all the time, ain't nobody go, we'd love for you, I tell you this all the time, this is what I tell you, love for you to come to First Baptist Church of Avon Park. I don't really say it this way, but I say, what you see is what you get. We're going to fellowship, we're going to sing songs of the faith, some are real old songs, some may be real new songs. My daughter tells me how old a song is in the 90s. Isn't that hilarious? think about it oh my goodness that song was in the 90s I'm going what some of y'all think in 1890s no she's talking about 1990s <laughs> we're going to have preaching and we have Sunday school and we got couple classes and we got this we got Wednesday night we got youth we got children we got things going on this is what we got this is who we are do we need to do better at what we do we all do but this is who we are I would worry myself to death to try to get the fickles out there to come. First Baptist Fickle Church, we'd be changing and flipping and flopping and doing and doing. Just fickle. Looking for a miracle, emotional curiosity. Revelation 3.16 says it is a lukewarm Christian and Jesus spits them out of his mouth. How about that for a picture in Revelation? To the lukewarm believer, to the lukewarm person, he says, I spit you out of my mouth because you're nothing. I'll have people come up to me the second that Georgia loses anything. I'll have people text me when Georgia loses in field hockey. Ha-ha! And I'm like, you don't count. You don't even know where Georgia's at. <laughs> that's, that's just fickle. They're just a fan that knows I'm a fanatic, and they just want to give me a hard time. And I look at them, you don't count. You even know what football's about. Now, those that do know football, y'all do aggravate me when y'all do it. Somebody asked me, I said, what happens in a Georgia game when Georgia's getting beat? My phone's like, they just love their pastor and want to encourage. Fickle. Neither hot nor cold. Don't believe in anything. You're just looking for that emotional connection. Yes! It's like when people say, 
Well, our kids don't want to come to church. That's this so funny. True story. I got nothing but true stories today. Pastor, we need to meet. Okay. We just want you to know our youth are not coming back to church. It's boring to them. You know what I want to do so bad? Please pray for your pastor. I want to stand on my desk and go, that's a you problem. The Bible is boring. That is a you problem, not a me problem. But I don't do that. Church is boring to my children. Lord, help us when we even say that out loud. That is a you problem, not a me problem. That is raising fickle children looking for an emotional connection that they are going to wear themselves out in life trying to find. Do we need to have fellowship? Do we need to have ministry? Do we need to have... Nobody likes, hey, I have a lot of fun at a cake auction and I'm Baptist. I mean, we didn't have a discourse of any scripture at the cake auction. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay. But overall, we live in a society that we're just so fickle. We don't even know the crowd's name. They're so fickle, they're not even in the Bible. Here's a good one. You're so fickle, we're not even going to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then we'll close with this. The hostility of the religious leaders. We live in a day that is hostile to the gospel. Okay? Just say amen. Amen. They were hostile to Jesus. That's just the way it is. There's only one thing we can do about hostility. We pray, we trust, and we preach. That's all we can control. I don't focus on the hostility. I, I mean, I like to stay in touch with the news and all that. I don't focus on it. I don't dwell on it. I try to keep up and inform. I don't care about it. All I care about is the ministry of reconciliation that God has given me. Jesus said, listen, it's going to happen. Yes, I know what they're doing. Jesus said, let them be hostile. I'm on God's timetable. There's going to be hostility. There's going to be fickleness. There's going to be idolatry. But you know what our hearts ought to be? The same thing that John and Peter said. Let me tell you what we have seen and heard. We serve and we worship our Lord. Where do you stand today? Do you really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you love him and love? That's what I tell you. I mean, I've, I've, I've encountered pastors that would say, well, yeah, I know I'm a believer. I know that, but I'm just, I don't love living. Something going, I don't love living for him right now. Brother, you better get that right. 
There's something, in, there's something going on in your heart. You've got some idolatry going on. You've got something going on. You've got some fickleness going on. I know it's not rebellion. You wouldn't be having this talk with me. But Jesus wants us to serve him and to worship him. We need to love Jesus Christ and love the things that he loves. And Jesus Christ ought to be the most important relationship in the world. You know what I'm most excited about being a grandparent? That I can focus on the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll be the best granddad there's ever been in my grandchild's eyes. I'll be the best husband. I can be the best pastor. I can be the best everything when I worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the face of hostility and fickleness, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Peter and John. I am John the Baptist, I guess. I don't know. Let, let, that's, let that fall on you. All I do know is what I've seen and heard. All I know, when I was 12 years of age, I was at Rehoboth Baptist Church in the balcony of a youth camp. I hadn't slept all night and probably got whooped the night before by my counselor. But God opened up my eyes to the truth of the gospel. And best I can tell you, I'm trying to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say that today? Do you know Jesus Christ today? Do you love him? Do you love the things that he loves? If not, quit being so fickle. And quit being so hung up in idolatry. Get over yourself in a good way. That's a sweet. I'm, I'm trying to be sweet. Get over yourself. It's not about what you think Jesus ought to do for you or what you think you earn in Jesus. It's about who Jesus is to you. Jesus said, I didn't come to seek. I came to seek and to save that which love. I came to serve man. He came to give his life for us. Give your life to him. Let's stand and bow your head as we begin to pray. <clears throat> to bring this word into context today for us, don't be a Judas or fickle crowd or religious leaders. Be a Martha and a Mary today. Lord, we just thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that you are our redeemer, our hope, our God, our deliverer. Help us to be Martha and Mary and Lazarus here today. Convict us of our fickleness and our idolatry and seeds of rebellion. And let us just love you, Lord. And be excited about who we are in you, Lord. Let us come to you today, Lord. Follow after you today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.